Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. Okay. First of all, to no one's surprise, including my own, the American Education FM YouTube channel has been permanently deleted. Didn't take long. I think it was something like 12 episodes, if memory serves. It certainly wasn't many. Maybe even less than that. Uh, and then at least two episodes were deleted by YouTube, and then it was last Friday's episode that seemed to do the trick. So there you have it. The results of the experiment proved the hypothesis. It's not a free speech platform. They make up excuses, of course, and then eventually they stop warning you, and then they just nuke your entire channel. I just feel like, as you know, simple of an example as this is, I think, that uh, it's worth examining again the overall question of why is it that numerous individuals who claim to be on the so-called conservative side and the right side of history and fighting against the establishment and censorship and anti-free speech and all of that, why is it that all of those people still have channels on YouTube? the Glenn Becks of the world, the James O'Keefe's of the world, and so on and so on. Why is it that they continue to have YouTube channels, but we don't? Or someone like me who says the things that I say, which are accurate, clearly get their channel destroyed in a matter of a couple of months. Makes you wonder if other things are happening, doesn't it? Well, that's because other things are happening. So, I'm not upset about it. I don't care. Those of you that have listened to this show since the start, and certainly since the start of that little social experiment, you knew that I did it on purpose to get the channel destroyed. I said I was just going to do it, and all I was going to do was put up my own audio episodes, and we'll see what happens. And that was it. That's all it took. So, it's not a free speech platform. They're not on our side, regardless of what their algorithms may say in the future, or however it may be run in the future. There was a time when it was a free speech platform. I was alive during that time, and it was kind of fun over there on YouTube for a little while, but eventually, all of that went away. And now it's gone, and it's not coming back in the near future, at least that I can tell. So there you go. Okay, moving on here, there was also this, rather interesting. It's now come out through the... Judiciary GOP and at Judiciary GOP through Jim Jordan's committee that the White House, Biden specifically, was pressuring Amazon to delete books that had everything to do with the jabs. Again, seems like conspiracy to violate constitutional rights and a thousand other things, but either way, shouldn't shock people. But this again dates back to actually three or four specific things having to do with me and my channel. Again, sounds like I'm making it about me. I'm, I'm just using myself as an example here because, again, I wasn't the only person that experienced this. But back in January of 2021, on the fake inauguration day, that was the day that my podcast was deleted without warning, just gone out of nowhere. Again, I only started it in October of 2020. And then just like that, it was gone. Throughout all of 2020, I had published, I want to say, at least, well, it's hard for me to determine, actually, uh, certainly two separate books and then the book series, The Storm, 
which is all free on my website, AmericanEducationFM.com. But once 2021 rolled around, and once the fake inauguration day took place, and once my podcast was deleted, that's when Amazon started going after those particular books that I was compiling during 2020. They started deleting the storm books one after the other, out of nowhere. Sorry, we've deleted your book. Uh, we don't think it's appropriate for audiences and our, you know, and our selling audience and, and buying audience and whatever else. Again, no explanation. And I was going back and forth with them over email and they were saying, well, sorry, we can't tell who wrote this and we don't think that people will want to read it. I mean, it just became this very mundane back and forth as to why they were deleting it. But I fully understood what was taking place. There, there, were, there were forces at play here that didn't want people to know what was going on during 2020, certainly in the education field. And in the jab-related field, they wanted nothing to, I mean, they didn't want that information out there. They didn't want people to know. And now it's come to the forefront here that that was on purpose. That was a giant on purpose. It was not some company accident. So again, this is from Representative Jim Jordan, titled The Amazon Files, Feeling Pressure from the White House, Internal Docs Subpoenaed by At Judiciary GOP and At Weaponization indicate that Amazon bowed down to the Biden White House pressure to censor books. Never before released internal emails subpoenaed by at Judiciary GOP revealed that the Biden White House pressured Amazon to censor books that expressed views the White House did not approve of. And they have a series of emails here showing that. It says Andy Slavitt, the senior Biden White House official who demanded that Facebook censor a meme and true information was pressuring Amazon to do the same. Well, those storm books are loaded with memes and loaded with factual information from anonymous individuals all over the world. Again, during 2020, certainly the election and the stolen election of 2020, and then well into 2021. And then I stopped compiling those books on Easter Sunday of 2021. And even after that, they still started to delete most of them. So I think Again, in retrospect, now that I look back on it, I think that it's still, I think Amazon still has available four of those storm books on paperback and Kindle, but the other 10 volumes have been deleted. It's something ridiculous like that. But either way, again, you can download all of them if you were ever interested in having an archive of what was really going on during 2020 and 2021, certainly the first third of 2021. Uh, on my website, under where it says the Storm Book Series, you can click on it and download the PDFs. They're all free. Anyway, this thread continues, and it says on March 2nd of 2021, Slavitt fired off an email demanding to know who he and his White House colleagues could talk to at the company about, quote, high levels of propaganda and misinformation and disinformation of Amazon. It says, how did the Biden White House conclude that there was propaganda and misinformation in books sold on Amazon's bookstore. The White House ran keyword searches for controversial topics such as vaccine and emailed Amazon when it didn't like how the search results appeared. Also, I might add, <laughs> it keeps happening, but also I might add that this is why it was difficult to even search for my book, uh, The Unmasking of American Schools. And my other book, which was titled 
American Education in 2020, which, by the way, they deleted the Kindle version of that book also. So the only way, actually, that I could get my last book, which is The Unmasking of American Schools, the only way I could get that on Amazon is if I wasn't using Amazon's um, ISBN number. I had to go through Barnes & Noble and self-publish it through there in order to take their ISBN number and then use that on Amazon's website in order for Amazon to create it and sell it also. So it was kind of like a backdoor way of, of getting that book out there. But even so, they shadow banned it because they had to. The thread goes on here and it says, initially, Amazon decided to hold off on, quote, doing a manual intervention, unquote, to censor books. They said, why? Not out of any con- uh, commitment, rather, to free speech, but because doing so would be too visible to the American public and likely to spur criticism from conservative media. Well, no kidding. It says, why was the Biden White House so upset with Amazon? Because Amazon believed, quote, retailers are different than social media communities and provided their customers with access to a variety of viewpoints, unquote. It says, for the Biden administration, letting Americans think for themselves was unacceptable. The other thing, too, and again, I'm bringing it back to the, uh, to the book series that I compiled. What I think made the Storm book series so interesting was, again, it wasn't my writing. It was anonymous individuals all over the world on numerous chat boards talking and discussing about a variety of subjects, but again, mostly about the shots and global tyranny and learning how all of this is connected. And then, of course, telling stories about things that they're seeing, things that they're hearing regarding their family members, their friends, so on and so forth. And again, the majority of those books were throughout 2020. And if you recall, a great deal happened there. And you had the implementation of masks, you had the shutting down of schools, you had the George Floyd nonsense, you had the Kyle Rittenhouse nonsense, you had the stolen election, you had everything. All of that, again, is in that entire book series compiled again with tweets and memes and the whole thing and Q posts. And of course, they don't want a one-stop shop book that tells people where to go to get more information. Again, if a thinking person is a thinking person, then they're going to want to find other outlets to find information and then filter it through their own mind, combine it all, look at all of it on a giant table, so to speak, metaphorically, and say, okay, what's real and what isn't? Where are the consistencies and where are the inconsistencies? That's what made the Stormbook so flippin' cool, because it doesn't get any more honest than that. Something as simple, again, is somebody telling a story about going into a grocery store, what they observed, what they saw, how they were treated, and then how they talked back to the people who work there who tried to get them to wear a mask. I mean, it's stuff like that. You know, th- that, that's the kind of stuff that they don't want, clearly, and it's, it's been proven here. It continues, it says, a week later, on March 9th of 2021, which was about three days after I published my last book, it says, Amazon met with the White House. Internal Amazon documents reveal Amazon's top talking points going into the meeting. One of the key questions was whether the Biden White House wanted books banned or just buried deep in the search results. Well, it's both, and they did both. It says, so how did Amazon's meeting with the Biden White House go? On March 2nd of 2021, Amazon determined internally that it would not be doing a manual intervention today. The online bookstore set a meeting 
with Biden White House officials for March 9th of 2021. What was the purpose of this meeting with the Biden White House? Question mark. To see if the administration is asking us to remove books or are they more concerned about search results slash order or both? Why did Amazon agree to take the meeting? Because they were feeling pressure from the White House, they say. After the White House spent a week berating Amazon, what did the online bookstore do? It says, starting March 9th, the same day as its meeting with the White House, Amazon enabled, quote, do not promote, unquote, for books that express the view that vaccines were not effective. And they've got all the emails here. It says, and that wasn't all. Amazon also considered other ways to reduce the visibility of certain books that the Biden White House disliked. And then it wraps up here and it says, that's right, Amazon caved to the pressure from the Biden White House to censor speech. Okay, unquote. Another major reason why they wanted to destroy in particular Kindle books, of course they did this with endless paperbacks as well, I'm certain, certainly mine and others, but they also, by the way, I should say this, they also dropped the prices of all of the books uh, super low, and that's putting it mildly. Um, not that my books are expensive, they certainly aren't, and they weren't to begin with. They were something like 12 bucks a book. Some of them were $9 a book. They dropped them down to like $6 and $5. I mean, they cut the price in half, uh, and, and they did so again without even telling me. But either way, the reason that they get rid of Kindle books is because you have live links on those on those Kindle books. I mean, you have hyperlinked websites that they can click on and go to, and they can either read a post or they can watch a video or they can it, do a thousand things. It's remarkably interactive, and that's what they don't want. Again, that was the whole point of Kindle books to begin with. The whole point was to be able to eventually download an app on a tablet like an, like an iPad or a cell phone. And then you read a Kindle book, and then when you come across a, a hyperlinked web address within the book, you can click on it to find out more information, or go to a particular chat board that you had never even heard of before, or a thousand other things. This interconnectivity is what they don't want. This is the, this is the internet control that they've always been, been interested in. And again, these kinds of things aren't going to stop. So. I would tell people again to prepare for that, um, understand that that's just the game that is being played right now. And again, if you have an electronic book, for example, that you want to publish, my recommendation is that maybe you go through Barnes & Noble first and that you take the ISBN number that Barnes & Noble gives you and, uh, and, and you end up using it on Amazon for, for their Kindle. Again, if they don't delete it, they're going to hide it. They'll shadow ban it as much as they possibly can. But uh, yeah, don't lower the price of it if you can help it. I think the most you can charge for a Kindle book is $9.99. But either way, again, understand that the word Kindle means fire, or at the very least, starting a fire. And deleting those books is ultimately their goal, because if they're all in electronic form and not in paperback, then you never have them in your hand as a material object. They're, they're electronic, so they can be deleted, they can be coded, they can be wiped. There's a thousand things that can happen to them. But either way, you know, moving forward, if somebody's interested in publishing something, that decision is yours and yours alone. And there's just a number of different 
avenues to take and strategies to take to maintain the integrity of the thing that you write. So let me give you another example. Uh, all of the Substack articles that I've written, and I've probably written well over 55 of them at this point, somewhere along there, uh, along those lines. When I'm done publishing it on Substack, I immediately cut and paste it onto a Word document, and I do my best to keep it on, on saved Word documents. And I save those offline. So again, in the future, if I want to compile some kind of a book, at the very least, I've got them off of Substack. Because if Substack ever gets wiped, and people aren't backing up their articles on a Word document, then they're gone. And you'll, you'll never have them. And then what'll happen? I mean, it's rather predictable. Everybody will start screaming at Substack and say, where'd all my articles go? I mean, Substack, if they haven't already done it, they would do well to tell people and tell the writers on Substack, hey, look, uh, you need to save your, your own writing and you need to save it offline. Again, whether you immediately type it into Substack and you leave it there and then before you publish it or you, 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 know, you publish it and then you copy and paste it onto a Word document, you can do it that way. You know, there's there's a number of ways to do it, but either way, they need to be saved and archived offline. It's rather important to do, certainly in this information war and this literal war that we continue to find ourselves in. So I just wanted to open up with that and bring that to everybody's attention because that's an ongoing thing and that's not something that's going to go away. And as I said at the very top here, again, even with the deletion of a of a purposefully uh, deep sixed YouTube channel, which is what I would call it. I mean, I, I, I did it on purpose. Uh, didn't say anything I wouldn't normally say on my show at any other time, but either way that right there should prove to people that some individuals on the so-called right wing of things, those individuals don't get censored. Those individuals don't get shadow banned. Those individuals are playing a game. And again, who pulls the strings of that game? I think we know. I think we know the financial kickbacks that they all get and the hands that get, uh, you know, get shook behind closed doors and the back padding and the shoulder rubbing and all of that, the elbow rubbing as well. I mean, we get it. We know that the James O'Keefe's of the world and the Glenn Beck's of the world, and you name it, if you're out there and you're writing books and, again, the Mark Levin's of the world, and you can pick one. These people are never going to get their information censored, destroyed, or shadow banned. They just won't because they're in bed with the enemy. And again, if you call them out for doing such a thing, well, good luck. <laughs> I mean, they're not going to let you on their, on, on their show, of course, to describe that to them and to tell them to pick a better way. But here, here again lies a much larger problem. Those are the false prophets. It's them. It's always been them. And, and this is just more evidence that they're the false prophets because their platforms continue to be maintained on the same platforms that are, de that are deleting people's accounts permanently who are telling the truth. So again, we got to know who our enemy is, and that just continues to prove it, I think. All right, let me get into some education-related things, and I have a number of stories here. I want to play some audio here first. This is about three minutes long. This is from Channel 5, which I believe is Dayton's news outlet, if I'm not mistaken, WLWT. It's either Cincinnati or Dayton. It's one of the two. Either way, uh, this, had to, this is, again, from a couple of weeks ago, and it has to do with Ohio lawmakers unveiling a new bill to boost attendance and it actually has to do with paying K-12 students money per year 
and then giving them bonuses depending on how well they do. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, American K-12 school attendance is so bad, and so many students are leaving the entire system that now the state is trying to pick up mercury with a fork and bricks with chopsticks by actually paying children to show up. This right here should define the entire mental landscape of the people running not only politics, so to speak, but certainly the education apparatus throughout our entire country, let alone Ohio. They want to use degenerate sin in order to fix their degenerate sin, which has caused the, the reaction and response of moral individuals to leave the school system. So they think, again, that materialism and money is the, is the answer to their problems. Oh, how wrong they are. Give this a listen in three, two, one. Show up for class and get paid. That's at the center of a bipartisan bill in the Ohio House right now. To try, they're hoping to reduce the number of kids who don't show up for class. But as you can imagine, very controversial, and its sponsors spoke about it today. WLWT News 5's John London is here with how it would work. Are we going to have NIL deals for kids <laughs> taking science classes here? That's a pretty good question. They're, they're not sure how this is going to work, Mike, but they want to test it out and see. So a couple of pilot programs are being set up, one to boost or would be set up, one to boost attendance, the other to boost graduation rates. Now, interested districts would have to apply. Only four to eight urban and rural schools would be selected. Only kindergarten and ninth grade students would be eligible at first. If it pays off, so to speak, it could spread to other grades. The notion of paying kids to show up for class might strike some as rash, costly, and ridiculous, but not to this 19-year-old Don South Sr. and his circle of friends. Oh, they'll be all in. They'll be all in. We had a conversation a little about, well, I said, like a month ago about this, because, you know, the winter time was coming up, and people was like, they didn't want to show up because they going to be cold, and, you know, other kids ain't got coats and stuff to be prepared for the winter. So majority of them just don't come to school. Those last few words illustrate a nationwide problem. In the previous school year, the chronic absentee rate in Cincinnati public schools was nearly 46%. Since August through the first quarter of this year, it's 38.5%. Incentives like free pizza and visa gift cards have been tried without long-lasting success. Are direct cash payments worth a try? You think it'll be a motivation? It'll be a motivation, yeah. Because what kid doesn't want money? Students with at least 90% attendance would receive roughly $50 a month with extra cash incentives upon graduation. We're not teaching them to read if they're not there. We can't teach them math if they're not there. Democrat Dunny Isaacson believes whatever side of the spectrum you're on, it's not relevant, especially if you consider it a waste of money. It is so much less expensive to invest in making sure that kids are getting to school than it is to pay the costs for when kids don't go to school. From Columbus, Republican Bill Seitz is co-sponsoring House Bill 348. Seventh grade social studies, our teacher used to say, money isn't everything, kids, but always remember this, it's way ahead of whatever's in second place. Savion Lively has a winter coat and a show-up mindset. Ready to learn, get my education and graduate, take on the real world. Statewide, nearly a third of Ohio students are chronically absent. CPS not commenting about House Bill 348, which was introduced this afternoon. And to those who ask why pay students for something they should be doing anyway, Isaacson and Seitz answer because nothing else has worked. 
John London, WLWT, Newspoke. Where to even begin? <laughs> it's, it just sounds like a comedy routine. Doesn't that sound like it's an old 1990s Saturday Night Live skit? It really does. I mean, you could reenact that entire thing with the actual funny cast of Saturday Night Live from back in the 90s. That was ridiculous. Yeah, I'm ready to get paid and get my learning on. That dude looked like he was 25 years old at least. At least. Yeah, it's going to be it going it going to motivate them all right. They're going to be motivated. Are you kidding? No one's thinking here. Nobody's thinking. Democrat, Republican, bipartisan. It's bipartisan. They've got a couple of Republicans on board because, well, we need to teach them reading and math. So saith one of the local representatives who's a Democrat or whoever the hell that guy was in Cincinnati. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're not teaching them reading, writing, and math anyway, whether they get paid or not. Again, it was something like, I heard somewhere else, $500 per semester or per year, which isn't a lot of money anyway, but then there's some bonus if they do well regarding their grades, and then there's another bonus if they graduate. How embarrassing. It's absolutely a slap in the face to everybody, anyone with a brain. Again, I... You know, the reason that they're doing this, and as we all know, and this is the broken record in me, so forgive me, you heard the Republican guy there at the end, and he basically said, well, this is our last option because nothing else has worked, or something to that tune. The one thing they'll never do is engage in honesty. That's what they won't do. The reason that they are in the situation that they are in is because they're not fixing the leaky, cracked foundation that's covered in mold and shit in order to fix the actual problem. That's the problem. Again, you're putting a, you're putting a new shingle on a rotten roof that has nothing but mold and scum inside of the entire house. But don't worry. A new set of shingles on top will fix the whole thing. No, it won't. These people are incapable of being honest. They're incapable of figuring out what the real problem is. And that is the problem, in a nutshell. That's the biggest problem. They aren't honest. They don't know what the truth is. And if they do, they're keeping it from everybody by trying to use all these patch jobs as a distraction in order to get people to show up, not to mention. What's keeping somebody from showing up, getting paid, and then leaving? Big deal. They showed up, they got their $500 for the year or the semester or whatever the hell it ends up being, and then they just bolt and they leave. It's just embarrassing. And then again, blaming clothes for it. The reason that they don't come to school is because they don't have winter clothes. You have to be joking. I mean, the one kid, again, the one kid, he looked like a full-grown adult. You know, he's like, now I got my winter coat. Time for me to get back to school and get that learning going. Oh, God. (laughs) No, no, don't. 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 It's got nothing to do with your coat. It has nothing to do with the fact that you took some money and 
you know, now you've got yourself a winter coat and the ability to walk from point A to point B. That, that's not it. That's not the problem. Again, if you don't have clothes, that means that CPS has to get involved. And the school is supposed to get involved if you don't have appropriate clothes because, well, that's negligence. And that's a parental problem. And then a thousand other things is supposed to happen in the middle of all of that, not to mention, where's all this, uh, you know, where, where's all this education money go to throughout the entire state in every single state? Don't worry, we're sending all our money to the border for illegal aliens, and we're sending all our money to Israel, and we're sending all our money to Ukraine. But, you know, winter coats are the biggest problem in America, and getting, getting those kids and them schools, that's the biggest problem. Come on. This is embarrassing, beyond embarrassing. It's falling, ladies and gentlemen. It's crumbling to the ground. This is a horrible last-ditch effort in order to save the Titanic. And all they're doing is rearranging the seats, and it's not, it's not doing a single thing. So from that standpoint, I find it highly amusing. Okay, moving on. Speaking of more unfair practices, I'm sure you heard of this the other day. This was making the rounds certainly, well, almost a week ago, actually. The American Psychological Association claims that merit-based hiring is unfair in a new study. It says that the new study suggests hiring someone based on their qualifications is unfair. That's different than saying it's not equitable, which is what they really mean to say, but they're just using unfair. It says, study says employers should consider socioeconomic disparities over merit-based hiring. Should they? One particular excerpt from this study says, quote, hiring managers should learn about the effects of socioeconomic inequalities on access to opportunities and consider a broader range of work experience when evaluating different candidates. Give me a break. Ladies and gentlemen, again. This stems from the entire landscape of what goes on in an American K-12 school. It starts that young, and it's made its way all the way through the schooling system, all the way through quote-unquote higher education, and now it's made its way, of course, well into the workplace. And again, this isn't new. This has existed within the workplace and, I should say, Studies like this have to exist in order to counter the other studies that are coming out on a constant basis, telling people that hiring people because of where they go to school or what town they live in or you know their, their socioeconomic background, that, that that alone doesn't work either on the so-called other side of things. So what I mean by that is, is you've heard me bring up numerous times the different stories of individuals who are hiring people, and they openly say, I don't hire anybody from Harvard and Yale because they're dumber than a bag of forks. That's a real thing. That exists. And there are actual, again, studies that show that those individuals who are getting hired from those quote-unquote Ivy League schools have no idea how to speak English. They can't complete a single sentence with, without ending it with the word, right? You know? See what I mean? Right? 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 I mean, they, they can't do that. Again, they can't, they can't form a complete sentence. You put a computer in front of them and they say, well, what is this? I, I know how to use my cell phone, but uh, what is this? Is this called a keyboard? I heard about one of those once. I mean, they don't know what to do. They really don't. 
But this again starts in the American K-12 school system. It starts in kindergarten and preschool about the whole feelings thing. That they're here to learn about feelings and we're here to teach feelings and everybody's here to hold each other's hands and understand one another rather than learning to think and then critically analyze and then apply the scientific method in about every single aspect of one's life. This doesn't happen. And it's leading again to studies like this, which have to exist because they have to counter the overwhelming tsunami of truthful, factual information that's coming down the pipeline on a constant basis, openly stating that the younger generations are dumb and that it's not helping that their parents, who aren't that bright either are, and certainly brainwashed, are making things harder for their own children. So when their children enter the workforce, they get fired rather quickly. In fact, I've got more stories here, again, that sort of all run through this giant thread of the constant brainwashing that's taking place with children and how it's overflowing even back toward the parents themselves. That yes, the parents have certainly been brainwashed regarding a great many things, in particular child rearing. I mean, they don't know how to raise children today the way that they did back then. We've all seen the memes. I mean, there are endless memes that prove this. The statistics prove it. Behavioral science proves it. There's a thousand things that you do, and then there's a thousand things that you're never supposed to do. Again, there's a, there used to be a giant shift in this one particular avenue, and I've brought it up a ton of times here on the show, but you'll probably notice that somewhere along the line, there was a shift in what you do with your children and how you get your children specifically to do a particular task. You see, I was raised by baby boomers. The baby boomer generation didn't ask my generation, I would say at least perhaps at least half of them, if not the majority. My parents didn't ask me to do something. They told us to do something. They said, come over here, stand here, do this, go get me that, pick this up. That's not what happens now. The Gen Xers, or the children of the baby boomer generation, it's as if many of them who are now parents were raised by wolves, or they weren't raised in the homes that they think that they used to be raised in. Because in, instead of looking at their children and saying, do that, come here now, make your bed, follow me here, we're going here. Let's do this. Go get me that. Instead of saying all of those things and ending it with a hard period or an exclamation point, they end it with a question. Can you come over here and help me with this? Can you, can you come here and do this for me? Can you please go over there and do that? When you form everything in a question, what are you doing? You're giving a child a choice. That's a bad idea. You don't give children choices. You tell them what to do. This is, this is the division. This is the divide. This was the whole point. Again, this was the Marxist approach. It started in the 60s and 70s in an attempt to get as many of the baby boomer generation who were about to get married and be parents to do this with their own kids. 
That was, that was the timeline in which it existed. Again, you go back to the greatest generation, so to speak. Do you think they were asking their children what to do or if they wanted to do particular things or if they wanted to make their bed or if the, you know, what they wanted to have for dinner? Hell no. They were told what to do. So again, is the American K-12 government school system to blame? Of course. Is the family to blame? Yes. But society, as we know, and the Jewish moneylenders comes up again. It's a theme. Certainly is continuing to come up. And the societal manipulators that exist, again, with entertainment, media, game, you name it, they're the ones causing this division and causing this doubt to actually get the children of the baby boomer generation or even the later generations to believe, that, or earlier generations, I, sh I should say, that they were somehow wrong with the way that they did things, that the way that they raised their children was, was incorrect. But that divide started with the baby boomer generation, and now it's led to this, which is, I, I mean, I don't know where it goes from here. I don't. I shudder to even think where it goes from here. I mean, we already have children dressing up as cats and dogs and pretending to, uh, you know, defecate in litter boxes in men and in, in boy and girl bathrooms in K twelve schools. This is a thing. This actually happens. So, I mean, it certainly leads to that, which is a certain level of mental retardation and institutionalization that should exist among those people. But, I mean, this is the slippery slope. This is what's going on here, and it's on purpose. Again, people come up with this in board meetings. They sit in high-rises, and they say, what are we going to do with the generations? How are we going to manipulate everybody? And people walk through their normal lives not knowing they're being manipulated. It's astounding. Here's another one, by the way. This is another school-related story. This was sent to me by a listener of the show, and uh, thank you for the email. You know who you are. They live in Broward County, Florida, and they openly uh, mentioned that they saw my school board speech. They've been listening to the show ever since, back when that speech was on YouTube for all of about a second. And, uh, and they basically started to, again, report on the Parkland School, where they sent their children, where the apparent shooting took place. Again, I wasn't there. I have a lot of questions regarding that. But with that aside for a moment, they ended up saying, that they're homeschooling their, uh, their youngest child, and they love it, that it's one of the best decisions they've ever made. They sent me this story, too. Again, the schools are collapsing, and here's proof. Broward Superintendent discusses the options as district explores closing schools. Hmm. Wonder why. It says, quote, about four years ago, Walnut Dennis moved from Miami Gardens to Pembroke Pines for her daughters. Quote, I moved to Broward to make sure that they go to a good school, the Haitian immigrant says. Her eldest now attends Pines Middle School at 200 Douglas Road, and her youngest goes to Palm Cove Elementary School at 11601 Washington Street. They're both gifted students. I'm sure they are. She loves their schools, and she raised her eyebrows in surprise when she found out this week that one of them, Pines Middle, is one of 67 most under-enrolled public schools in Broward County, possibly meaning that the school district could close it or repurpose it in the coming months. Currently, Pines Middle School has the capacity for 1,769 students, but it's missing 
1,159 students. It's operating at a measly 34.5%. Dennis is exactly the type of person Broward School Superintendent Peter Licata wants to meet as he and his administration embark on one of the most challenging missions the school district has faced in years, it says. Close or repurpose at least five of its total 239 schools in the 2025-26 school year. Broward Schools is currently missing about 51,000 students, and the projections are bleak. I have to cut in. <laughs> here's here's what's going to happen. If they don't sell the buildings again to a mental hospital and turn them into a mental hospital, or they don't sell the buildings and have them become something else, they're going to open them up to illegal aliens, or they're going to attempt to. Here's the problem. They're either going to use them as housing depots for illegal aliens, if they, again, exist there, which, let's face it, they do, or what they're going to do is, is they're going to attempt to keep them as schools for illegal aliens, but where they're going to, I mean, where the hangup is going to exist is, and this would occur, of course, in a meeting, and then probably immediately be shut down, is they would say, well, who's qualified to teach these illegal aliens? Who can speak multiple languages here in America? And I'm not talking about just English and Spanish. You're talking about all kinds of, all kinds of languages. French, Middle Eastern languages, you name it. No chance. Absolutely no chance. They're going to have to sell these properties and get out from underneath them, which means their budget's going to drop. And the state-allocated money that they receive will decline rapidly. It continues here. It says, in total, 67 out of the total 239 schools in Broward, or 28%, are operating at 70% of their capacity or less. It says, quote, if you ask superintendents around the country, it's something they never want to do. It's incredibly challenging. But I can't look at it negatively. I want to look at it as an opportunity. I bet you do. I bet you do. You lied to everybody about the mask wearing and the shot taking. You've killed off your staff and your students, and they don't want to come back because they don't want to be abused. Not to mention, the technology that, it's, that exists rather at people's fingertips these days is telling them more of the truth than what they'll ever receive in a school day. It's amazing. He said, remember, if we're spending money on other things we don't have, like students, it takes away from teachers and bus drivers and cafeteria workers and others. That's the least of your problem. It says, why are students leaving and what are the options? Oh, this will be rich. It says, if you ask top officials at Broward School District why families are fleeing his public schools, he will point to a myriad of reasons, and none for certain at the same time. Most leave, for leave from, it says, kindergarten to third grade, or from sixth to eighth, he said. Families could have pulled students because they have opted for homeschooling instead, switched to charter or private schools, or moved out of the country or state because of the rising cost of living. It could have also done it because they were seeking a specific magnet program at another school because they disliked the staff or because the state granted grade fell for that school. It says the country's shrinking birth rate, controversial state politics, and the lack of families moving to Broward could also be triggering it. Oh, I've got some other reasons as to why they're leaving. Notice how they take zero responsibility. 
Notice how I've brought this up numerous times on the show, and this continues to be the theme. They never look in the mirror. They don't do it. Just like Ohio schools and Ohio politicians with the payments that they allegedly want to make. Same thing. They never take responsibility. The curriculum is a lie. You fall for every psyop in the book. You believe things that aren't real, and you're all brainwashed. And your time is being stolen from you. And I'm telling you, that right there is the largest. It continues to be, I think, one of the largest elements in this whole equation is the time that is being stolen from humans. It's it's immense. I could go off on numerous rants about that regarding a variety of other subjects. But when people get older, they look backwards and they say, wow, did I screw up? Wow, did I spend my time inappropriately on that particular thing or in that particular place or with those particular people. Again, it's a, it's a massive reflective tool that exists, but these schools are incapable of, of righting those wrongs and changing course because they'd have to blame themselves and they never want to do it. Not ever. It continues here. It says all of that could be affecting the enrollment at Broward Public Schools. It says, but he won't know for sure until he speaks to the people directly involved, he said. That's why he refuses to put out a list of the schools he's considering affecting because he wants to keep an open mind. I'm going to end it there, but again, he gets into some of the sort of back and forth semantics on the whole thing. You know, it's we'll have to wait and see, and we'll have to see if this many students show up, and then maybe we can combine schools and have a school that's sort of on a on a need to know basis, and students can show up. You know, when uh, when one school drops and another school increases in its attendance, and blah blah blah. I mean, just it's it's ridiculous. They created this problem. They are creating work. I love how everybody blames the low birth rate. Yes, it's a real element. There's no doubt about that. But ultimately, it has to do with people waking up. They're waking up from the matrix. We've been lied to for generations and generations. And again, the 20th century was really the century of mass manipulation on a scale that cannot be calculated. For all of the reasons and all of the technologies and the media outlets and the business and all of it, all of it was a giant distraction. It pulled everybody away from God and it pulled everybody away from the truth. And you can't say it didn't. It'd be the rare person who was born in 1900 and then died in 2000 and was awake that entire time. That person doesn't exist. Everybody fell for something. Some people fell for some things more than others, and of course, you know, some people are finally awake, and many people still aren't. But man, you talk about destroying a culture, and destroying, frankly, just humanity in general. I mean, it is over flipping whelming. Here's another one, by the way. (laughs) This, This, again, continues to prove the addictions that exist. And what technology is doing to people, in particular youth, I mean, holy Lord. You want to see what it's like to, t- to take a bag of crack away from a crackhead? Take a cell phone away from a child. Take an iPad away from a child. 
get a load of this. This comes from The Blaze. My apologies for the reference here. But it says, Texas high school is placed under lockdown after students storm out of classes over cell phone ban. See what happens when you take the crack away from the crackheads? Honest to God. It says the following, a high school in Houston went into lockdown on Friday after hordes of students stormed out of their classrooms in protest of the school's cell phone ban. I wonder if they did it with mask wearing. I wonder if this same school all walked out when they forced masks on their faces. Probably not. But they will leave when you take away their cell phones and you keep them off of their crack pipe, metaphorically. James Madison High School staff called for a shelter in place as a precaution after physical violence broke out the day before the new policy was instituted, according to the New York Post. Principal Edgar Contreras told parents that the school is currently on lockdown due to a concern over recent fights that have occurred on campus. Quote, as you know, we communicated yesterday that beginning on Monday, students will not be allowed to use their cell phones at any time while they are inside the school building. Cell phones have been at the center of fights and have broken out all over our school. What do you mean cell phones are at the forefront of your fights, so to speak, or the center of your fights, because people are recording each other, beating each other up? Is that it? Is it because they're looking up pornography on their cell phones and they're masturbating in the middle of class? Is that it? Or wait, is it that thing that you allowed in the first place because you took the approach of, if we can't beat them, we'll join them? Because cell phones were a disruption the moment they showed up, and we had discipline policies in place that were holding students accountable for using their cell phones, but because the discipline numbers were increasing, you decided to just go along to get along. And then you allowed cell phones. And now look what's happened. Ten years later down the line, you've got a cell phone problem. I saw this ten years ago. I saw this 15 years ago. I saw this being a problem 20 years ago, and here it is. Because they always take the, if we can't beat them, we'll join them approach, and they think that making that policy is somehow going to decrease all of their problems. It's absolutely amazing. The article continues, and it says, Students at the high school have been upset since the announcement about the new rule. Aw, isn't that too bad? which would require all students to turn in their phones to the front desk before they begin class each day. The students would be allowed to get their phones at the end of each day, or if there is an emergency, according to the Houston Chronicle. Some students who are angry about the policy have caused disruptions on campus today, promoting the lockdown that is in place. Police have been called and blah, blah, blah. There's another aspect of this, again, which has to be examined just quickly here, is that in their role reversal as a school, and now implementing this policy which reverses the policy they had in place, which as I said earlier, you know, they, they, they brought in cell phones and we're not going to discipline them for their cell phones because there's too much discipline. There's too many referrals. We're having too much of a problem. Well, that of course got out of hand. And now what are they really doing? I mean, what are they really teaching these students now? 
they're teaching them to be deviant. Because the brainwashed students are still going to show up to this school. The brainwashed students still haven't figured out that they can read and write, which means they can teach themselves. The brainwashed students have a device in their possession that holds the answer to the universe. Yes, of course, the Bible does as well, and that should go without saying at this point, but there are endless truthful avenues that exist on a cell phone. And the the irony is that the student is walking around with this device in their hands and they have no idea. They'll never stop to think to look up homeschooling programs on the very slave device that they hold in their pocket or in their hand. They won't do it. And it's teaching them to be deviant because students will still show up to school hiding their cell phone. They'll be asked if they have a cell phone and they'll lie. They'll look at a staff member and say, I don't have one on me. I didn't bring it today. And then they'll say, and then, and I mean, what'll happen then? Is this, is a school official going to search their person because they think that the student is lying? They can't do that legally. So then what happens? Then you create a social conflict. Then you create an argument. A student looks at a staff member before or as they walk into the building, rather, and they start yelling at each other. They say, I just told you that I don't have it on me. You're, you're calling me a liar. I don't have it on me. I mean, what a healthy way to start off a day. What a healthy way to start off a full day of brainwashing in an institution that doesn't know what the hell it's doing. You're starting it off with a verbal confrontation over a cell phone. The homeschooling family does not deal with these problems. They are above it. They're above it. And the homeschooling family, again, I'm, I'm using that loosely to some extent, for this particular school, it's a high school. These individuals should know how to read and write. What they don't know is media literacy. What they don't know is technology literacy. What they don't know is that if they can read and write, they can teach themselves away from these brainwashing indoctrination environments that are stealing their time and stealing their life. They don't know this. This is, this is the much larger problem. It is, again, a prison for the mind. It always has been, even more today than ever before. It's beyond sad. I find the whole thing very sad. I really do. Because these brainwashed students or children have absolutely no idea what's taking place. They have no idea what they're subjecting themselves to on a day-in and day-out basis. And like I said, again, you talk about a giant waste of time. Somewhere along their life, they're going to come across somebody who left the system in 2020. And they were their age, same age. And they're going to look at each other and they're going to go, wait a minute, you left the schooling system? And they go, yeah, I just looked up on the internet homeschooling programs and then I taught myself and here I am. And then they're going to go, oh, I, I didn't do that. They're going to go, well, why not? We're the same age. What's the problem? Did you like wearing a mask? Because I never wore one. Did you take the shots? Because I didn't. Do you have health problems? Because I don't. And again, I'm a free thinker and I learn on my own all of the time. Do you not do this? I read nonfiction books for fun. You don't do these things? 
Again, this is the social divide, ladies and gentlemen. This is the civil war. It's a war on civility. This is the division that's being created here, and this is another giant wedge in the entire scheme. Let me mention this too. I want to read this post from greatawakening.win, and it has to do with homeschooling. You've heard me, of course, it goes without saying, mention this subject with regularity, and I'll continue to do so. But a number of months ago, if not a year or so ago, if not further than that, I read a particular post that someone had posted that was actually sent to me by a listener. And, uh, and I recall it being sent to me by a listener, so I want to give credit where credit is due. And they openly stated, you know, you got to read this. This is an excellent breakdown because this has to do with what homeschooling parents get wrong. And if memory serves and that post was accurate, it openly stated again, and it went through a giant list of the mistakes that brand new homeschool, that homeschooling families make because they try to recreate and essentially mirror, or not even mirror, but just double down on what the public school, private school, and charter school apparatus has in place. That this is their huge mistake. They think that they have to be sitting next to their child at a dinner table for seven hours a day as they go through worksheets and books and packets and flood them with all of this nonsense. That's not what homeschooling is. Homeschooling is allowing God to enter the mind of the child with slow direction, and then you do other things throughout the course of the day. It's not about sitting at a table for eight hours a day with your head in a book. That, that's not it. It's about way more than that. It's about exploration, free thinking, taking naps, and having the time to think freely about a variety of different subjects, asking questions, learning where to find the factual answers, showing them interesting things about the world we live in, etc., etc. That's what it's all about. So I want you to hear this post here from greatawakening.win because it was funny and sad at the exact same time because this is exactly what the family is getting wrong. They're clearly trying to recreate what goes on and mimic what goes on in their previous public school setting. So here's what they said. And I should say this, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to kind of treat this like a Dear Abby kind of thing, okay? So I'm going to, I'm going to read their post and then I'll, I'll get into, of course, my suggestions here. And I'm certain, again, that we're on the same wavelength when it comes to a great deal of this, and I'm sure you'd even have your own suggestions. But anyway, here's what they said. They said, quote, We are failing at homeschooling. We have been trying to educate my eldest child at home. We passed up a great charter school to educate her at home. However, my wife feels like she, can, she cannot go on doing this. They said, first is the difficulty. If my daughter grows bored, she just pretends like she can't do the work and cries. For example, she didn't want to do the math, so she pretended that she couldn't count objects and say the correct number, six objects, and she insisted that there are seven. She cries during her lessons because she doesn't want to do the work. They said, second, is that my daughter is bored all day. She literally has been begging to, quote, go to a government school, unquote, like her friends 
like her friends, so she can see them on the bus and at recess. We're having a hard time finding anyone locally for her to play with during the day. She won't do additional lessons or activities and just whines nonstop about playing with other girls. My wife is at her wit's end and tells me that she hates doing this even though she was the one who made the final decision to homeschool. When I've had to take over lessons during the day, my no-nonsense attitude seems to get us right through the lessons smoothly, but her boredom and constant whining is a real point of contention. What do we do? She's already in four extracurricular activities. Local clubs fill up fast, so she can't join those. There should be dozens of nearby families doing homeschool, but apparently not. Then they said, I have a bored child and an exasperated wife. Help. Unquote. So first of all, like I said earlier, it's pretty evident that they're not doing it correctly. That's, that's certainly one of, one of the major points here. They're going about it wrong. Again, they, they openly stated that they take turns with lessons. Well, why is that? Again, I'm not saying that a young child, and this is apparently a, a rather young child, this is not a middle school or high school age student, this is most certainly elementary. Again, they need direction, but they don't need the parent to hover over top of them. And this, again, is what a Becca.com allows for. It allows for the parent to not hover over the child while the child is watching an actual teacher on a screen tell them about particular things that they are doing in a book while they're doing it. This is just one of the many aspects of it, but that's part of it. So I would say that whatever homeschooling program they're using, they're using the wrong one. Second of all, I don't know if this fits with everybody, but it certainly does me. When I was growing up, if you said the following things to either my parents or anybody who was within earshot who was of our bloodline, if you said the words, I'm bored, or this is stupid, or I don't want to do this anymore, or even worse, you played dumb, by the time your feet were done touching the ground and returning to the ground after being meat hooked, you would have a handprint on at least one of your ass cheeks. I mean, we would have gotten blasted. So there's that element that I just wanted to bring into it. This sounds like non-disciplining parents to some extent. I'll kick it up a notch, though. It's, it's beyond evident, again, that they're trying to recreate what the K-12 school environment has created, which is chaos. And now they are experiencing said chaos. This is the point. This sounds like, again, a child who would behave this way in a school classroom when they weren't around their friends and frolicking about outside of the building during recess or even at lunch, that they would be behaving this way inside of a classroom setting. That's why you're not supposed to recreate what goes on in government schools, because what goes on in those schools doesn't work either. So they're doing the wrong things, they have the wrong habits, they have the wrong routines, and they're using the wrong homeschooling program. I, th I think that's beyond evident here. So again, use a Becca, start there, start over, start from scratch, and then get into healthier routines. Another healthy routine, of course, would be taking the daughter 
and the mother and having them cook. Go, go to a bookstore, buy a cookbook, and learn how to cook. Buy, go to the grocery store then, buy all the things. Come home, make dinner for, for dad. Make dinner for the whole family, for all three of you. If there's more, make dinner for everybody then. This is, this is what homeschooling is. Homeschooling is that too. It's not, again, sitting at a table for eight hours a day with a parent beating you into doing your math homework or counting correctly. You can learn all you need to learn with counting and math by learning how to cook and using a cookbook. Not to mention, this is a lifelong activity. And it's a family activity, and it's a healthy routine. Families that have healthy routines tend to be healthy families. That's typically the way that it works. But this right here is, again, that's just one example of something that I would change, something that I would do. They might say, well, I'm not interested in that. I don't want to do that. Well, you don't even know because you haven't even tried, potentially. So again, I understand that bookstores these days are few and far between, but they exist. So take them there knowing exactly what you're going to do, but make that your entire day. Put the schoolwork down, so to speak, and just make it your entire day this particular activity and let them know that. Don't trick them and say, well, we're not going to do the schoolwork anymore, but this is a part of the schoolwork too, so let's just go do this instead today. That can, that can be the way that it's done also. Again, it's not just cooking and, and learning how to cook and, and going to a bookstore and finding a cookbook, but once you go to a bookstore, or even a library for that matter, again, I know Cicely takes her, her boys to a library on a constant basis. They go into the library, they return the books that they've just read, and these are young kids too. And then they run through the library and they grab other books that they want, they take home a huge stack and they go through all of them. I mean, this is, a, this is a very good habit. This is a very healthy routine. So once they're inside of a bookstore, they're inside of a library, and you're there for one book, they don't have to be limited to just that. They might want to learn about something else. And you might want to open the door to them learning about something else. And then, who knows? They grab that book and they say, I want to look at this one too. Well, great. There's another activity. There's something else that they can spend time doing. And there you have it. And then, of course, hopefully, as a parent, you would have the child explain to you what they learned out of the book or what they looked at or what they read, because then that's, that's where the comprehension piece comes into play. Again, it's not, it's not about doing this nine to five, let's, let's stay on my kid at home doing schoolwork until mom or dad gets home kind of thing before we eat dinner and then go to bed. That's not the routine. That, that's not what's supposed to be happening in the homeschooling environment. It's just not. There are a thousand things that can be done on a constant basis. Again, the child can learn to clean the house. The child can learn to pick things up and pick things up after themselves. They can have a pet, learn how to keep track of a pet and, and care for a pet and maintain the pet. There's, a, there's just endless things that can be done. It doesn't have to be. Again, filling out a math worksheet with a pencil and then sweating on top of the paper and then erasing it and then you tear the paper and then the eraser's broken and I got to get a new eraser and all the headache and rigmarole that comes with all of that nonsense. It's more about just living and understanding that living is learning. And you can also 
consciously learn about a particular subject for which you might not know anything about based on curiosity. And it's about fertilizing that curiosity. I'll take it again one step further here, and this is certainly if the child becomes older, and they hopefully will, in the middle school and high school age. And you say, oh, you want to go to school, do you? You still want to go back to your government school so you can hang out with your friends? Take a look at this. And then what you do is, is you get on the internet and you look up horrific stories of things that are happening in the American education system. There are endless stories that are horrific. There are also endless videos of horrific things that take place. I just came across one. It's comical and emblematic of many, many horrible things that take place, not only in schools, but society. And I put it on my Gab page, but it's high school black girls fighting in a bathroom. And then they bust through the stall door, and there's a white girl sitting on the toilet. And she's sitting there with her pants around her ankles, and a fight is breaking out around her. She stands up, pulls her pants up, and then attempts to walk out of the stall while the black girls are still pounding on each other. I mean, you could look at your daughter or your child and say, is this what you want to go back to? Because this is what happens in high school. This is what happens in middle school. This is the environment. Doesn't matter where you go to school, this kind of stuff happens in those environments. Public, private, or charter, doesn't matter. And again, it's a rhetorical question. You're not really giving them the choice to go back. You're just saying, you don't know how bad it is. We're the adults. We know how bad it is. This is why we are protecting you. And then you could have an even more adult conversation with them. You could say, you may be too young to remember, but mask wearing used to be a thing. And you may not know this either, but all of that was based on a lie. So parents were sending their children with a mask on their face all day long, and then the child was ending up with numerous health problems. And there's ample evidence to show that American schools are going to try to do this again. Not to mention the nurse visits. You're going to be pulled down to the nurse's office, and probably at random, for things that you don't even have wrong with you. And you'll get asked all kinds of questions away from the watchful eye or watchful ears of your parents. And they might ask you whether or not you've received any injections or not. And if you say no, well, the nurse has the right to inject you with just about anything they want these days. So do you want that to happen, Sally or Jimmy? I mean, these are the questions, again, and the topics that have to be brought up to children. We are way past hiding the truth from children. We have to tell them what goes on in these environments. If you wouldn't send your kid there by themselves, then why would you skip the step in explaining to them what goes on in the actual environment and the justification for you keeping them home and away from those dangerous environments? There needs to be a full-blown explanation for the child. doesn't matter how young they are. You can focus in on just the violence piece alone. You don't have to talk about government indoctrination and government control and how all the subjects that are in school are a lie and a thousand other things. You can do all of that, and I highly recommend it. But for a young child, you can just focus on the violence part because most children don't want to be violent, and they don't want to be subjected to violence. 
Again, the very first guest that I had on this show was a mother who was also a wife and a furloughed nurse. And she was getting tired of sending her daughter to school to only come back with bruises and scrapes on their arms from other kids not learning to keep their hands to themselves and pulling on her and tugging on her and pushing her. This is not what school is about. And they as parents recognize that. And they explain that to their daughter, I assume. But that explanation has to come with, it, with everybody and with every child, in, e- in every family. We're not going here because of this and because of these reasons. Again, the who, what, where, why, and how have to be answered for the child, or else they're not going to make any serious and logical connection. Now, again, throwing a fit over something from time to time is common when it comes to growing up, and and that's not unusual. But you work through it, like the dad explained. I mean, he claimed he has a no-nonsense approach and the lessons get done and blah, blah, blah. But even so, it it just comes with the territory. That's just one of the things that comes with raising a child, and that's one of the things that comes with teaching a child, in particular, someone who doesn't want to learn a particular subject or you know, a particular topic. It's, it's not unusual. You just keep moving. That's all. You just keep moving forward and you just keep barreling through it. And then it becomes more interesting to them down the line, in particular, again, when they're exposed to more things. But I'll end it there. I'll just simply say again, as they continue to get older, you have to explain to them that they are unsafe environments for a variety of reasons. And then you have to tell them why they're unsafe and then show them. If they don't believe it because they've never seen it, then they're, they're not looking at the right thing. They're not watching a video on Gab of girls or boys beating the snot out of each other and a bunch of people standing around not doing anything about it. No one's helping them. They're being beaten to death and no one's helping them. Do you really want to go into this environment? Again, the, the, the question is rhetorical. I mean, they're not going to look at you and say, yes, I still want to go. I mean, the answer is going to be, I'm not asking you because I'm giving you a choice. I'm saying no logical person would want to go into that environment ever. And then you leave it at that. But at the very least, you've given them the facts straight up. And whether they decide to swallow those facts or not, well, they'll eventually come to grips with it. And a day will come in their lives where they will openly say, my parents saved my life. They kept me from these environments. They kept me far away from them. And I know more now than I probably would have had I just stayed within those environments. Because I've talked to people and I've met with people and wow, are they stupid. And they stayed in those environments and they went to those environments. Again, this is you've heard me bring that up too. That's a societal division and I said it earlier in the show, in this episode specifically. That's a long-term societal divide where those two opposing viewpoints are going to come right back around and meet face-to-face again. And when they do, it's going to be shocking for both parties involved because the homeschooling kid who's now an adult is going to say, I was homeschooled. What do you mean your parents didn't pull you out in 2020? And the other kid's going to go, what are you talking about? What happened in 2020? I was wearing a mask and protecting myself from COVID. And then the homeschooling kid is going to have to look at the other one, who are both now full-grown adults, and say, well, there is no COVID. You wore a mask because of a lie. See what I mean? 
This has so many tentacles on it and so many short-term and long-term ramifications. I don't even think I have enough time in numerous shows to wrap my head, let alone my verbal thoughts around all of them. It's too vast. But the, the, the long and the short of it is this. If you're going to homeschool, you never try to recreate what the government schools do. You don't operate on a clock. You don't operate on a bell. There's no recess. It's just, let's just live. Let's just learn and live. Let's go places. Let's try new things. Let's see new stuff. And if you have the freedom to do that as a nuclear family, hopefully with the mother being a homemaker and the father working, then perfect. You've been given that gift from God in order to do the right thing. So just do it. You could also tell them this story, which just happened the other day. It's titled, Italian Schoolgirl Gang Raped by Egyptian Migrant Gang Whilst Walking Through Public Gardens with Her Boyfriend. The heinous attack has sparked widespread condemnation across Italy with Deputy Prime Minister Matteo Salvini calling for those convicted of such offenses to be chemically castrated. There you go. A 13-year-old girl was gang-raped as her boyfriend was beat up by illegal aliens. And where are illegal aliens entering these days? Of all ages, I might add. American schools. Are parents going to actually know the number of illegal aliens that make their way into public school environments, are they going to be told by the school administration? Of course not. There's no newsletter that goes out that says, we got another illegal alien. Hooray for us. Those newsletters don't exist. If ones do exist, they're celebrating the fact that they're an inclusive environment and they care about diversity and equity and blah, blah, blah. That's about it. They're not going to talk about the crime. They're not going to talk about the increase in discipline. They're not going to talk about how the fact that they have teachers quitting because they can't teach multiple languages, let alone speak them. It's amazing. You have to tell the truth to your kids about what's going on in society. There's no need to hold back. The issue, though, as you might imagine, has to do with whether or not the parents know what's going on in society and whether or not you think the teachers have a pretty good idea as to what's going on in society. And I think, as the basis of this show is pretty much proven, the people who work in school environments, public, private, charter, K-12 through university, have no flipping clue. They have no idea. How about this one? You could explain this to your homeschooling child who wants to go back to school. This was from 100percentfedup.com. Junior varsity basketball referee collapses and passes away during game. 45 years old. Hmm. Wonder why. There's also this, again, emblematic of the mind frame of the people who work in these environments. You can't fix this level of mental retardation. Same news outlet. This is from uh, CBS News, actually. My apologies. It's titled, I'm not making this up, South Park Elementary Center, Principals, Dress Up as Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift to Celebrate 100th Day of School. As you might imagine, they got their picture taken 
It was all over the social media, and even local news outlets showed up. You have got to be kidding me. Ladies and gentlemen, if I worked in that building, which of course I wouldn't have in the first place, that would have been my last day of school. I'd have said, oh, so the school administration is wasting their time doing this? I quit. And that would have been it. This is the mind frame of the people who work in these environments. They can't be bigger tools. They're the biggest tools that exist. Society says go left, they go left. Society says go right, they go right. Government says jump, they say how high. This is the way it works. Honest to God. An absolute blessing I'm no longer in the business. You have no idea how I thank Christ for it constantly. No idea. Again, we've, we've openly seen that the individuals who work in these environments aren't accepting any responsibility. I think this episode alone pretty much proves it. Their patch jobs don't work, and they're not, they, they lack all reflective abilities whatsoever. They have no powers of reflection to go back in time and say, you know what, we got this wrong. We need to apologize. We listen to the media, we listen to TV, we listen to government, and we shouldn't have done that. And as a result, now we're having to pay for it. No, no, no. They don't, they don't have that ability because they're not thinking people. Again, I don't know where you work and, and what people do for a living who listen to this show, but again, ask yourself, have your employers, if you're employed by someone else, have your employers apologized for anything that's happened over the last three plus years? Four years? Have they apologized for anything, whether you work in a school environment or not? Has anyone stood up and said, you know what, we, we got it wrong? We all got it wrong. The mandates for the masks, the mandates for the jabs, the exemption stuff, we shouldn't have had any of it. We should have just said, everybody, you know, let's just all go to work. Let's just go back to work. Has anybody apologized or said, I'm sorry? So, it's so awful. Speaking of jab-related things, just two quick stories, then I'm going to wrap up here. This first one comes from The People's Voice. It's titled, Thailand Issues Warning About COVID Jabs. Quote, they cause cancer and brain tumors. Yep. Welcome to the party. It's been like this for a while, but at least their government is saying something. And then there's this, also shouldn't be shocking to anybody. This is from the New York Post not that long ago. Federal agencies refuse to cooperate with Florida grand jury investigating COVID-19 vaccines, interim report reveals. Now, I don't want to say I told you so, but uh, I could have sworn that when this so-called Florida COVID grand jury took place, I said something on this show about how, why on earth would anybody at the state level or the pharmaceutical industry within the state level want to listen to what a grand jury has to say about the thing that they're profiting from. That they can come up with all the factual results and the deaths and the illnesses that they want regarding the shots and the mask taking and anything else, specifically the shots. But what makes them believe as a grand jury or even as a government committee that they're somehow going to get the pharmaceutical giant to stop doing what they're doing. The only way that that happens is if there's an executive order 
or an actual law that is written in place to eliminate these shots at the state level. These committees do nothing. They only point out the obvious, and then the obvious gets swept under a rug. So, again, is the pharmaceutical industry in Florida setting themselves up to be caught? I think they've already been caught. I think I think the jury's in on that one. But I don't know. I mean, they're hiding information. They're not being forthright. That shouldn't shock anybody. But if it, again, is a strategy regarding a grand jury like this in order to catch them, well, I think mission accomplished. You've, you've caught them. Because, again, the innocent have nothing to hide. Criminals like to hide things, not, not innocent people. Okay, I'll end with this, and I'll probably make a few comments for Friday's episode as well, but I just got done watching the Jen- Jennifer Crumbly uh, verdict. She was found guilty on four counts of manslaughter, which I cannot believe. I really can't believe it. The evidence was overwhelming that she had nothing to do with this, and it wasn't her negligence that, that led to this. Again, this is a political witch hunt. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the, the evidence was overwhelming that Ethan was the problem, that the school was the problem. And again, if there's even any doubt, that's what reasonable doubt means, that if there's any doubt, then you have to vote not guilty. They all said guilty. There was some convincing, apparently, that had to be done, I'm sure, in the deliberation room. But the point is, is the jury wasn't paying attention. You you can't have, again, it's the false equivalency. You can't have individuals looking at it one way and say, well, clearly it's this way. And then have individuals over here on the other end and say, well, clearly it's this way. Someone's right and someone's wrong. But just because 12 people or at least 12 people, ultimately arrived at a, guilty, at a guilty verdict, doesn't mean that was the right verdict. I mean, hell, OJ got off, for God's sakes. This, this political, you know, this political, this entire political thing is so deep, and it's almost too deep to even, to even wrap your arms around. You've got Gretchen Whitmer wrapped up in this. You've got endless politicians, Soros money, a thousand other things. And you know that these jurors are ultimately going to either write a book about it and try to profit from it, or they're going to go out to the media and start discussing it, whatever it may be. The sentencing, to my recollection, is up to the judge. And the judge said very quickly that that takes place at the beginning of April. So Jennifer Crumbly goes back to jail. She, w- she will have been in jail for at least two and a half years. Again, she had nothing to do with this. Neither did the husband. I, I can't believe it. And here's what they're not going to do. Here's what state prosecutors and county prosecutors aren't going to do. When a black goes out and kills someone, they're not going to chase down the parents, or in their case, potentially the parent. They're not going to do that, are they? Again, they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. They haven't done it since. They don't do it in cases like this. They're, they're trying to set a precedent for, for school-related shootings as if to send a message to everybody who works in or sends their kids to school that if your kid engages in a shooting, even if the evidence doesn't point to you as the parents being responsible, you're still going to be found guilty in a court of law. And oh, by the way, you're going to do two to two and a half years in jail before trial. We're going to find you guilty of involuntary or voluntary manslaughter. 
and then that's going to be the end of your life. I saw in the chat somebody said it's something like four or five years per count for involuntary manslaughter. So she's facing up to 20 years in prison for something she didn't even do, for something she didn't even see coming. I want people to wrestle with the gravity of that for a minute. And if the, again, this should be more proof to pull your children out of the school environment because you want nothing to do with any of this. Not because your kid would run into there and start shooting anybody. That's not it. It's that you don't even want to get wrapped up in any of the political banter and confusion that exists. Because what they've just done here is they've cut a clean check and a blank check, I should say, for all school environments. That no one in the school environment is going to be held accountable for any wrongdoing. That they're going to come after the parent, even though they weren't in the wrong, but they're going to, they definitely won't come after the school. So the school gets a free pass. The murderer goes to jail for the rest of his life. And because the parents were there and the parents were charged, well, now she's going to jail, which means they're going to find him guilty also, unless he takes a plea deal, which he might. I mean, the father, Mr. Crumbly, might take a plea deal now without even going to trial. I mean, think of the, I mean, just the overwhelming miscarriage of justice in, in, in this entire thing. We have no justice system. We don't. We don't have cops. We don't have lawyers. We don't have judges. We don't have anybody. Everybody's infiltrated. Everybody's being touched by the moneylenders in some way. It's beyond awful, but hopefully it's sentencing the judge is lenient without a doubt and, and blames the school district without a doubt. I think that the judge has a responsibility to do that because the judge is the judge. They judge things. That's, that's their job. And they were there, and they saw every minute of the trial just like we did. At least I was watching a great deal of it, if not all of it. And that right there should prove, again, that the people who are around these children the majority of the time are school officials. And if they aren't following their policy, then things like this happen. Again, you've heard me say it. The American K-12 school system and university school system are national security threats. I think this continues to prove it, regardless of the verdict. That was, that was the case before the verdict. It's still the case now, and I'd even argue worse now. Because now again, like I said, they've been given a free pass. Because now what'll happen is, is they'll double down on all their excuses and their rationalization for the way that they did things. They'll say, we did everything by the book, we did everything correctly, we did what we were supposed to do, and then unfortunately, They'll start screaming at the top of their lungs that justice was served, that the right thing happened, and they'll even say this. Mark my words. School officials in that district and other districts will say, well, now, the, now the, at least the right thing has happened. At least the right thing has happened, and let this be a lesson to all of the parents that you need to be paying attention to your kids more closely, because if any of them shoot up the school, well, we're coming after you. Not to mention all of the gun laws regarding, uh, my God, regarding all the gun laws on, on storing a gun in your house now in the state of Michigan, let alone anywhere else. You better believe they already had the legislation lined up in the state of Michigan. Now you got to keep a gun locked all the time in your house. And if you don't, well, what happens then? You're breaking the law. 
shall not be infringed. Remember that? These, these state politicians and these lawmakers don't care. They want everybody wrapped around their finger all of the time. So, very disappointing. I feel bad for everybody involved because, again, it's, it's more confusion for those that don't understand what the hell's going on. But you talk about it just a, a brain-dead, retarded jury. I mean, those are some of the most retarded humans on the face of the planet. They're just trying to get even. It's not facts, it's emotion. They're running on emotion. But they weren't putting themselves in the shoes of the mother, not for a second, and saying, well, if that was my kid, would I want to be in that position? Do I know everything that's going on with my kid? No. But like I said, too, the double standard is huge. You have a white couple, not a black couple. They're a white couple. You can't say there's not a war on white people. There most certainly is. When was the last time a case like this was brought in Michigan? Ever. I don't, I don't recall of a case like this being brought anywhere. Certainly one that made television. And they wouldn't do it if it was a black couple, would they? Would it be on TV? I don't know. Just asking. Just rolling some ideas around. Seems rather obvious to me, but there you go. Okay. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure we'll talk about this more in the future, but I'll catch you on Friday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.